I'm Matsudiso, a musician, songwriter, producer and composer. I also teach. I'm fascinated by process, how we make what we make, why we make what we make. As a musician, I'm always learning from and inspired by other creatives, other musicians, artists, the arts itself, people. In short, life all inform the music I make. And I think that learning from others enriches not only our own art, but the arts. And why holding up the ladder? Well, because we're all trying to get somewhere and I think we build something stronger if we help each other. If we hold up the ladder rather than pull it up from under us as we climb. I'll be talking to all kinds of creatives about process, lessons learned, things that inspire us, the music we're listening to, what makes us who we are and the help we've had along the way. So join me as we climb, holding up the ladder. My guest on today's episode of Holding Up the Ladder is art writer, curator, advisor and founder of Black British Art, Lisa Anderson. I've always used, I guess, that visual language to comfort me <laughs> um, and um, to lose myself in, uh, to spark my imagination. Uh, and so I think I was engaging in a curatorial inquiry or the creative um, process of stitching together uh, visual ideas without being very conscious about it. I mentioned in season one when I interviewed multidisciplinary artist Thomas J. Price that art has often felt a bit opaque for me, a little inaccessible, like having a multi-layered conversation with someone but only understanding it at a surface level. Well, what Lisa does so well is give language to art in her curatorial work. It's her passion, her connectedness to this art, and particularly black British art that invites us in. It gives meaning and context to what we see and in turn makes us curious and equipped to discover more. I was a bit nervous to lay claim to that term because it sounds so definitive mm. and um, I was very wary of essentializing or being part of a conversation that sought to essentialize people's creative expression like mm. oh you're a black British artist mm. as in and that's all you are not all people who are from the African diaspora like the term black like the term British <laughs> or happy with the term black British art you know uh, and it's not for me to force that on anybody. With a background in international relations and an MA in human rights Lisa's love of art and curation was sparked while at university. It's an intimate story one that I'll leave her to share in her own words. I've known Lisa for some years now and what has always been consistent is the celebratory way she lives life. We talk about identity, belonging, the importance of representation, of seeing oneself in the world around us, not just in our homes, but in culture. We talk about London, about Britishness, about Black Britishness. Black Britishness is ancient and all-encompassing. We've been here for centuries. I say we in a very loose term, you know, in a loose term, because there are People from the African continent here since the building of Hadrian's Wall, you know, there were, it was a black presence in at least Victorian London. You know, the, our presence here did not begin at Windrush. We talk about being part of a London scene. And like always, we talk about music. Lisa Anderson, thank you so much for taking part in this and sharing your knowledge with us. I'm really looking forward to picking your brains. It's a real pleasure. I look forward to the conversation too. Fantastic. So um, you are an art writer, curator, advisor, founder of Black British Art. Uh, you're a fundraising pro. You also studied international relations and have a master's in human rights. Um, art is something that I find still a bit amorphous. It's a bit of a language that I feel I don't understand. So I, I tend to need handholding when people talk about this space. So I'm looking forward to you teaching me some new things and giving me <laughs> new language to this world that I'm still, I feel very much a beginner in. You have a background in international relations and human rights. How did you get into art and curation? It's interesting that you 
you say that through our conversation, I'll be able to give you language to understand this world of art. I think what I can do is hopefully give you more confidence to express your relationship with the different worlds within art more freely uh, without a sense of having to get it right. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't come to this world through traditional roots, as you've explained. Um, Art has always been a, a place where I have sought inspiration from uh, whether that's like visual inspiration or in in terms of ideas I've so always saw art that I could see myself in that spoke to information about my past information that resonated with my values that could help me make sense of what I was dealing with in in the moment and I guess when I when I say this I'm thinking about um, when I was at university and instinctively collaging my walls with postcards from the National Gallery or Tate Modern um, images from calendars I think I had bought a calendar on a holiday to Jamaica and there was this beautiful photography of young young kids running through the countryside. I've always used, I guess, that visual language to comfort me <laughs> um, and um, to lose myself in, uh, to spark my imagination. Uh, and so I think I was engaging in a curatorial inquiry or the creative um, process of stitching together uh, visual ideas without being very conscious about it. It's more of a, a survival technique, particularly because my university experience was, <laughs> um, let's say, I, I stood out. I was a South London um, bred um, black girl from a working class background at the end of the line in Aberystwyth um, mm. on a seafront halls my first year. So yeah, having those images around me really did help me to remember who I, who I was, but also to kind of create myself. You know, that's so powerful. You said three things that really stood out to me. You said, you know, visual language to comfort me. Mm, mm. Um, as a survival technique. Mm. And also as a way to create yourself. So I mm -hmm. guess it's all tied into identity, isn't it? Yeah, very much. Very much tied into identity. I mean, this is before, this is in the time of dial-up uh, internet this is it's kind of pre instagram mm. i wasn't able to connect with people in the same way i was at the end of a landline number <laughs> there was no landline i don't think there was a phone in my room come to think of it i think it was a good few months before i got my first mobile phone so i was literally on my own and mm. i hadn't really thought about it in depth like this before but um i was in a room I share I was sharing a room with a another young woman from a very privileged background whose father I remember quipped how I hope you're dealing with her bongo bongo music okay on one of his visits so it really was a refuge it really was a as a was an attempt to recreate home or and to protect myself that process of stitching together um, those images Mm -hmm. that that's so so powerful tell me i don't even know if you can answer this because obviously all of this stuff is very personal and that's and when i say personal i mean subjective but how does art comfort and why does art comfort i think uh, because i think it's a, a channel into another mode of being it releases the imagination and depends what state you're in initially obviously but for me it's expansive it allows me to think beyond what I know is possible 
it stimulates new ways of thinking, new ways of understanding. And, um, and you know, and in some art can be just reassuring in the nature of the image that you're seeing. Um, there's one image that I know, I really can't remember who it's by, but it's of a young boy, I think it was taken on the streets of New York, the black and white image, and uh, his head is tilted up, his mouth open, and uh, there's water falling from the sky, and I think it's from a fire hydrant, so I'm assuming it's in the summertime, but it's a kind of close crop image of his joy and um, the beauty of his face, and skin um, in the light um, with the, the moisture of the, of the water. And that image, even thinking about it now, makes me smile and makes me um, kind of release my shoulders in just a surrender to the moment. That's what it represented to me, um, joy and freedom. Mm. Uh, here's a young black boy. And it looked familiar, it looked, I related to it. Obviously, it's not an experience that I had had. Um, growing up in Croydon, Thornton Heath, there were no fire hydrants to speak of, none of that kind of happening on the streets. But um, just the idea of another experience of blackness, again, for me, was exciting. Comforting, particularly from my context being a young woman interested in other experiences of blackness um, and to understand that and perhaps even the hope of experiencing some of it as well um, that was a com comfort and also excitement so I will say more inspirational as well mm. than just comfort I was a young woman who knew there was more out there beyond my uh, South London terrace life experience, terrace house um, experience. I, I have, as you know, uh, amazing parents, a wonderful family, and I, and I was kept very busy throughout my childhood. So I, did, I wasn't on road, as they say. <laughs> um, I had piano lessons, was in Girl Guides, um, did all the sports, netball, athletics, etc., etc. Yet my heart yearned for like a different world type experience <laughs> of blackness. When I was a kind of teenager, I was like, oh, I want to be around cool, kind of cultural, educated um, black kids, like. And I didn't really have regular access to that. So, I, but that I distinctly remember wishing for that growing up um, as a teenager because my experience of school, again, I was one of very few and I always felt like the odd way out. So art has always been a place where I could explore what else could be possible. Mm. And, and when you talk about a different world, you, you're referring to the, the TV show that was sort of yes. bohemian black people, yeah. you know, Cree Summer, Lisa Bonet. Um, yeah. yeah. No, yeah I, I didn't even, I didn't have any other people to speak about. I don't think mm -hmm. I even had conversations about a different world until I was in my 20s. But obviously I had mm -hmm. access to it through, um, through cable. Mm -hmm. And yet instinctively, but oh, that's my tribe. How? Yeah. So I accessed that, but I didn't voice it explicitly. So interesting, the lack of confidence that I had around um, expressing that desire because that was trapped between a desire to just be grateful for what I had and to do the right thing, whatever that was. But it didn't feel like asking for um, exceptional support to, to pursue that bohemian dream. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had no kind of artsy type aunties, older cousins who could open that door for me. Um, so, yeah, it was a long journey towards where, well, to where I am now.
it's interesting i think also because we are from the generation we straddle sort of our parents had jobs that you kind of do until you retire and you tend to have professional traditionally professional jobs mm. um you know accountants bankers lawyers teachers that kind of thing mm. but then we were sort of the people the love jones era that movie you know bohemian people i guess that were interested yeah. in art but it was art was something you you might like i remember you know you go to museums but it wasn't necessarily something that you did it was something that you you were an observer in so yeah it's interesting so we we grew up with amongst a crop of amazing creatives mm. who um so at the time they like when i came back from university i did a I did my master in human rights and obviously i'm plonked into london now 2021 and i did find myself amongst uh a developing tribe of British creatives who you know the leaders among the pack were people like Charlie Dark and um Jacob Samuel Rose that poets um DJs um and a whole a host of musicians Chris Ophelia used to hang around obviously that that they're all connected Blacktronica mm. happened around that time and there were people who were wholeheartedly in that space and I just did not associate myself with them because they seemed like the hardcore creatives mm -hmm. who had much clearer voices um, and clearer ideas of them of who they were in that space and so I definitely participated as an um, kind of yeah I was definitely a scene girl for that moment mm -hmm. and so it took me a time it took me some time before I realized that they were everybody was was a seen person you know it was a matter of your own perspective and what you had to say I don't know why I'd categorize that but it, I think it was more of an issue of my own sense of confidence in my own voice mm -hmm. um, that limited me from pursuing this earlier now you've like you say you've left university you've got your degrees you you know you you've left the place where you're kind of like the only black girl in the village kind of thing you're in london all mm -hmm. this exciting stuff is happening black blacktronica urban griots the poetry thing mm -hmm. apples mm -hmm. and snakes all of that stuff exactly you know you get into fundraising yeah so, so and you're you know you kind of still work in that space mm. but when did you say to yourself okay I really want to get into curation. You know, you've spent however many years kind of in a way preparing because you've been doing your collages, you've been escaping in all this beautiful art that you've seen, you've been connecting with it, you've been finding refuge and comfort in it. When do you now sort of say, you know what? You said to me, you, you sort of came from the outside, but in many ways it almost sounds, listening to you, I hear that you've actually been, you were doing research the whole time, maybe not in the traditional mm. sense, but you were researching the whole time from a deeply personal place. When do you then say, okay, you know, this is who I am, this is what I want to do, I'm going to get into this? Okay, so this is how deep it is. I studied international relations. During that course of my studies, and also even going into human rights, I was always looking at the experiences of, I was always inter interested in questions of identity, particularly from the African diasporic perspective, but I was locating my interest outside of my, my own base. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really researching the black British experience that deeply. And I think there was a bit of self denial going on there. Um, I had had a few conversations, I think formative conversations whilst at university about, oh, I'm not sure you want to pursue academia, you don't want to be a lonely black academic type of thing that I think I had um, digested and made into, you know, I'd, I think I'd shut off a route of inquiry as a result of those conversations unconscious to me at that time. So when I came into the world of work, and, and kind of starting to explore opportunities, uh, start to explore opportunities for, um, you know, what I could do with all this knowledge. I was looking more to the international field, mm -hmm. more into African development, uh, 
organizations. Um, and I remember a conversation I had with um, colleagues who worked there. I can't remember now who exactly who said it, but they said something that rocked me to my core one day um, that I kind of had gotten until very recently, but it was like, are you sure you want to be doing this? It's like, you don't know really who you are. Is this really you? And I think what they had um, were pointing at was, um, I'm this British girl of Jamaican heritage, heavily ensconcing myself in the world of international development and African development, which is so varied and so complex. And to kind of relate to it authentically, um, it does require some work on yourself if you're going to position yourself as somebody who wants to make a difference in advocating for those people's rights and advocating for change. But I was very young and I was coming at it from a very green perspective. So I couldn't see the, the kind of questions that that, that was raising about authenticity. Um, and I can do that now in retrospect. Mm. And it wasn't until, yeah, about five years ago. I mean, because I've had so many opportunities between my mid-20s and my mid-30s. Um, to pursue this work in more depth but there was a kind of block to it that I wasn't conscious of around me not feeling confident in doing it or worthy of doing it and more so not confident in the import in the importance of it for myself and for the wider community um I think those decisions that I'd made about uh, the conversations I'd had with people who are respected in academia had really, were really kind of, they had really taken a hold on me. So I just couldn't release that, that fear, that doubt, that, that lack of confidence in the, the importance of this uh, line of inquiry. And it wasn't until I did, until I did a um, personal development course where uh, we do get to unpack some decisions that you've made in the past about areas uh, of your life that are important to you. And for me, that was around creative expression and pursuing these ideas that um, <laughs> I was doing um, kind of unconsciously just because of that. That's who I've got made me to be. That I realised that, wow, OK, I have been stopping myself uh, all this time. and weeks after doing that course i um i thought you know what i'm going to see i'm going to take this inquiry around black british art seriously i really want to know what is happening i really want to have a voice in um supporting that um community of creative expression i want to understand it um more in depth um, and I want to have a voice. Yeah, I want to have a voice in, in, in that in that conversation. And I googled Black British art, and a few uh, websites came up. One book in particular, and um, but there wasn't a space that answered the questions that I was asking. And so I thought, you know what? Let's put together a website. Um, went on domain you know, search for the domain Black British Art and it came up as free.com for £9.99. <laughs> couldn't believe that it was available. And, and that's when it all started. So it is a very personal story and I haven't really thought about it in this depth <laughs> for, yeah, for some time. So that's where it started. But I want to quote something that you said, which you actually wrote this paper in 2016, but called Framing the Critical Decade. Mm. Um, it's funny, though, because I think it it was almost prophetic what you said, because I don't even think in 2016 we knew what the world would be looking like right now. Mm. And, um, you know, you even just said, you know, you you saw you were thinking about black British art and people were not answering the questions you were asking. And here are some of the questions that you asked. So I'm quoting you here. Which British galleries champion emerging contemporary Black British arts practice? Which exhibitions inc include voices from this fragmented yet influential British arts constituency? 
which British or international art fairs seek out and celebrate these artists, their perspective, their existence, their persistence. Mm. Yeah, it's deep, right? Especially mm. now. I don't think, I mean, who would have known? So talk to me a little bit about Black British art, what you're trying to do with it, and perhaps answer some of the questions that you yourself have been asking. Ah, so it is, it does come from a, at a very basic level, uh, an interest in visibility and representation, um, and wanting to uh, honour the, the value that my contemporaries, that artists that I relate to in terms of the conversations that they're having, their technical ability, the impact of their work on, on just my, <laughs> my experience of life, to honour that contribution and have it recorded for prosper prosperity. That's the wrong word. So annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Posterity. Do you mean posterity? Posterity. That's exactly what I meant. <laughs> it's been a long day. Posterity. Um, and that comes because when I opened my uh, art books, these, um, you know, the go-to texts celebrating the artists of the day, I, I wasn't seeing enough of, of what I knew to be out there. Mm -hmm. um, and so that for me seemed like a, a story that needed to be told and again um, there's, there's, two, there's different layers to this conversation because there's well there's artists who have been trailblazing and just haven't had the recognition that they should have had um, uh, who I'm very happy to say since me writing that have definitely gained more recognition, have been celebrated with uh, awards, um, international fair recognition, and the obvious name that comes to mind would be Lubaina Himid, uh, who uh, won the Turner Prize, I think, now a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and prior to that, there have been some major gallery shows celebrating the works of artists from the black art movement um, from the 1980s in the UK and and there have been other shows in um, an untitled show I think from 2017 celebrating um, kind of more emerging artists uh, from the African diaspora and beyond um, there have been um, there has been progress but at the time I think I was kind of kind of prophetic because prior to that the frequency was much lower mm. and and the volume was definitely smaller um of of those shows that you could speak to of those kind of indicators of recognition mm. and um yeah appreciation mm. so i guess i was speaking into existence um I wanted to speak into existence a healthier, more populated landscape of writers, thinkers, perspectives on, on work from artists from the African diaspora in the UK. Mm. Because the work is, is just as valid as anybody else's. Mm. And I just happen to be personally very interested in what these voices have to say because I can relate to a lot of it, not all of it. Mm -hmm. But um, it is a special interest of mine because I care about our culture and I care about the experience of, of black people from a political perspective, from a personal perspective, from a cultural perspective. Um, but that's why, that's why black British art. And for, for some time, I was, also, I was a bit nervous to lay claim to that term because it sounds so definitive. And um, I was very wary of essentializing or being part of a conversation that sought to essentialize people's creative expression. Like, mm. oh, you're a black British artist, mm. as in, and that's all you are. Mm. Um, that's not how I use uh, 
the term is simply an indicator to a number of conversations you can have about an artist and to help you identify artists who are happy to be part of that conversation. Mm. Um, not all black British artists, not all people who are from the African diaspora like the term black, like the term British, or, <laughs> or happy with the term black British art, you know, uh, and it's not for me to force that on anybody. But if you are um, a thinker, someone who's interested in a broad range of creative expression, uh, visual expression especially, um, and have a passion for the black experience, then you may want to know more about the kind of conversations that those artists give life to. Mm -hmm. And that is the purpose of, of creating, um, you know, or putting a, a flag in the soil for Black British art and kind of saying, you know, ushering people over to the platform mm -hmm. to have them have a look at the riches that are here. Mm -hmm. So, and I know it's making a difference and that is what is so satisfying to me. You know, over the years with increasing frequency, um, people are saying to me, oh, yeah, I follow you. It's so cool to see the, the range of different works because I, I do pride myself on wanting to curate uh, content of quality, um, artists who are thoroughly committed to their work and, you know, really covering the breadth of artistic expression, um, different approaches to paint, different approaches to, um, to drawing, photography, film, um, sculpture. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, there, as yet, there is no one book that represents the kind of content that I've, I have curated mm -hmm. on the Black British art platform. Um, I would love to part of that project I'm working on iterations of that project as I know some other people are too so the, the conversation is progressing um, but that's why and what Black British Art is about it's an educational platform it's a promotional platform that I hope will, will leave a legacy that means that in 20 years an art student doesn't have to go in and start from scratch and be surprised about the heritage of creative expression that um, that exists from the African diaspora in the UK. It's not like, oh, where did I go? How, how did I miss this out? I would love for the curriculum to be transformed in 20 years time and to have some role in that um, alongside many of my contemporaries. Um, yeah, in enriching the conversation about what art is and who is creating art. Fantastic. So can you tell me some of the names of the artists, perhaps, that you're looking at right now, the Black British artists that you're excited about? I mean, I'm sure there's a very long list, but if, if someone wanted to wet their feet, where could they, where could they start? They could start on my Instagram. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, well, this is a tricky one because obviously I have to talk about my friends who are my supporters and, and sources of inspiration. So um, definitely check out um, Adelaide Damar, um, a painter who increasingly um, yeah, is developing uh, a really interesting performance practice and also on the side becoming quite the philosopher. Um, please check out Inam Bonio, uh, Ghanaian, they're both Ghanaian actually, of Ghanaian descent, but um, British, who is uh, an artist who really explores use of textiles in, in really interesting ways on canvas and in performance as well. Uh, I have to shout out uh, Irvin Pascal. These are all artists who um, I've worked very closely with um, over the last five years, especially um, in exhibition um, and exploring different curatorial projects and ideas. 
and really in, I mean there's such an amazing crop of um, painters right now and I, I, I've always loved paint particularly um, female uh, painters um, and I would include amongst them Rachel Jones there's another who I'm really fond of but I am so bad with pronunciation it's Jade Fado Jutimi. Um, she's really great. Um, Shannon Bono, she's, a, she's an emerging artist. There's so many. Oh, how can I forget Michaela Yero Dan? Yeah, I've been quite biased towards the women there. But that's okay. People, it's at least a space where people can start. Um, I want to get into more of your curatorial work. And also you have a platform called Lisa Anderson Arts Advisory. But before mm -hmm. that, I mean, I mean, this is such a big topic, but so we're going to have to just sort of skirt over it. But I think what's very interesting, I, I'm really sort of, I think we're all considering at the moment, this idea of black Britishness as opposed to blackness as a monolith. Perhaps we still, some of us still think of blackness as American blackness. And I think there is, blackness is very broad. And perhaps in, you know, I think it's interesting that you talk about black British art. You could have called it black art, for example. Mm. So I'm aware now we've kind of opened a can of worms and I really want to talk yes, about your this is, art advice. comes to the core of my inquiry, to be honest. Yeah, but because I know it comes to the core of that and it's part of the reason why you've chosen the artists that you kind of work with and so mm. on. But I want you to sort of let, let's head down that route and then we're going to get into your art advisory because you also mm. write about it as you know, in your academic writing too. Mm. So what is the question? <laughs> I know it's a very long windy question. Why black Britishness and not blackness? Because it's about time that we spoke our truth confidently powerfully i think there has been a lack of confidence a kind of feebleness a kind of mutedness that is it does a disservice to our experience of life generally i mean i think the the lack of visibility is a direct result of the lack of confident clear writing on black british identity and in in the academic circles particularly within the conversation about visual arts mm -hmm. and that's a space that needs filling it's as simple as that because we're here why would we question talking about our experience and, and and naming it and developing language around that and arguments around it theoretical perspectives on that there's a clear absence and it kind of tricks some has tricked a lot of us into thinking it's 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 not a worthy area of of, of exploration which mm. is rubbish Mm. Um, but, so I think it's disempowering that the absence is disempowering it's inauthentic and that's why I'm putting myself in that space but it took me to do work on myself before I put my foot out there and and what is so good is that um, the generations that are coming beneath and up and beyond what I'm doing um, don't have that same baggage. You know, we're talking about uh, Stormzy's generation. I, I love him, I've got a soft spot for this guy, you know, because he speaks very boldly and very assuredly about his black British identity in a way that I wish people of my generation had. And if they had perhaps, and had been supported or had networked together and been as entrepreneurial in the, in the in the validation of that conversation, we might be what well, we might have been somewhere like this sooner, but mm. it's hard to speculate, isn't it? Um, but that's why Black Britishness, mm. because it's needed, and because yeah, because it's needed for our own sense of confidence and our sense of self. So it does come down to dignity, for me. And so, Black Britishness, what is it? <laughs> really. Yes. <laughs> what is it to you ah. hmm. black britishness is ancient and all-encompassing we've been here for centuries 
I say we in a very loose term, you know, in a loose tense, because there are people from the African continent here since the building of Hadrian's Wall. You know, there were, it was a black presence in at least Victorian London. You know, the, our presence here did not begin at Windrush. And our presence here now is complex and varied and so many different ethnicities. So it's, it's, it's the world. Black Britishness is kind of the world. I'm not being very articulate here, but it's, it's an expansive idea, Black Britishness. Mm-hmm. It is the British Somali experience. It is the British Nigerian experience. It's the, it's the British Sudanese experience. It's the British Jamaican experience. It's um, Nigerian doctors. It's um, Jamaican teachers. It's Trinidadian descendant uh, footballers, it's cricket, it's Notting Hill Carnival, it's Professor Sonia Boyce, Lubaina Himid, Lenny Henry, <laughs> Dormsey, Akala, all of that, all together. That's, it's, a, it's an amazing array of ideas and culture and flavour and intellectual power it's a powerful force that i don't think we really really squeeze the value out of at all hardly you know but this country would not have its flavor if it was wasn't for the african diaspora influence that has helped to shape it into what it is fantastic and i would also add it is also all the i mean you said it but you know ordinary people it's you know to me it's it's the bus drivers the nurses it's our parents it's our parents you know it's very powerful yeah that's very i mean the narrative and and the scary thing the horrific thing is that the narrative is so often reduced to the the very worst things that happen in any society Mm -hmm. it's so often reduced just to that and to a conversation about immigration or crime Mm -hmm. justice so this is such a lie Mm, mm, mm. so why why black britishness is to tell the the truth Mm, mm. to empower people to empower us all to see each other within each other and how can we grow as a society when we we feel so separate from each other Mm. i don't i don't engage in this to separate myself i engage with this so people can can appreciate the differences and go to learn and kind of um, value each other mm. more deeply. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the purpose of it. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you have your Lisa Anderson advisory mm. and that's where you're, you know, you're a curator. You were selected as one of 10 curators for the International Curators Forum as part of the pavilion at the 27, 2017 Venice Biennale. You also curate artists. I mean, you've mentioned some of them. Ade Olak, I'm going to say it wrong. Olakarin, Olakarin, yeah. Adelaide Demoa, Inam, when oh shame. This is all black Britishness. <laughs> I know this is the thing, and I have I already me and my name, but Inam Wenwonyo. Oh wow! Do you know what? To this day, and I love this girl. She is such a generous, humble firecracker of an artist and art leader. Um, she founded the Black British Female Artist Collective, um, curator in her own right, but has just is just going from strength to strength through, through her own performance um, and arts practice right now. And whenever I have to have a conversation with her, especially if it's in public, she does have to um, coach me on the pronunciation of her name. Bonyo. That's how I say it. Oh, wow. Bonyo. Okay, fantastic. Well, would this help lead me on to my next question about process? Because you look after artists, but you've also curated events. Mm-hmm. So you did a whole thing in uh, Marrakesh for Black Shade Projects, Her Eyes, Her Eyes, They Never Lie. 
reframing and recontextualizing the female gaze, looking at um, two Malian artists, Abdurrahman Sakali and Adam, Adama Kuyate. You've yes. done stuff with Addis Fine Art. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a bit about your process when you're cre- curating a show and when you're putting something together, because that's slightly different. The heart of what you're doing to me sounds the same, but the process of curating something, talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, I really think it does depend on the project, but in terms of my process, I'm very, I'm very open. I don't have a very, have a fixed way or a fixed vision of things often. I'm very, I love the unfurling of ideas through the process of um, investigation and conversation. And in the most recent um, project in in Marrakesh, that was a very collaborative um, process. So I think it all stems from curiosity, a sense of openness and willing to create as I go very in the moment um so it's not it hasn't been as yet i mean i've done uh, as i mentioned this this whole world opened up to me um having done um some personal and professional development and just over the last year because you know i have a full-time job i've just i'm just at the coming at the end of completing a diploma in leadership and management and i've realized about myself I guess I was unconscious about it but it's very obvious to most people that I'm very much the hare and not the tortoise like I jump into things feet first think think later I'm not a deep reflector I'm just someone who's present open making connections love kind of building relationships in the moment and don't always take a step back and sit and reflect deeply you know, for a long period of time to come up with a, a vision. I learned through doing. So that has been my process to date. And having done this course and seen how, I mean, there's no reprogramming that can happen. You have to accept how you're wired. But you, what I'm acknowledging now is the benefit of incorporating different ways of processing information to kind of complement and enhance my approach to things. So I am being, and for projects that I have coming up, I am taking more time (laughs) to develop them and being more reflective and really enjoying this research process. Um, I have an idea that I've been working on for about a year and a half that probably, hopefully will come to fruition next year. So, and the process for that has been quite different, much more, much more based in research, deep research and reading rather than just making things, making magic happen out of nowhere in, in very quick amounts of time, which, is, which has been the, the flavour of my, re, of my uh, curatorial project to date. <laughs> Interesting. So you're slowing down. You're slowing, slowing down, I guess. And I suppose <laughs> we're all forced to. The world has forced us to slow down. But for somebody who, um, you know, part of what you do as an advisor is help people collect, you know, if mm-hmm. you're interested in art. So, so if someone wants to start collecting um, and they don't know where to start, um, what should people, what, what can you say perhaps to help, you know, what should people be looking out for, I guess? Yeah, there's so many interesting conversations that I, or questions to ask when someone shows an interest in collecting art i'm interested in what their motivation is like why collect Uh, and there are various answers that come up the most common are to enhance your space to enrich your experience of your of your home and not just your experience but those of the people who you care about you want to bring into that space (laughs) Um, and then obviously there's a financial um, motivation for many um, seeing art as an um, an investment tool and then there's people who kind of want to be seen to be in that world or have an inter- have more of a cultural intellectual 
uh, interest in um, the visual arts uh, and want to um, experience the private views, uh, develop relationships with artists and have those conversations with cur curators and writers. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll just leave it at those three themes. And if it's about, um, you know, a very personal desire to beautify your space, then it's about understanding um, your ideas of beauty, uh, the kind of um, works you're attracted to, the palette, the mediums you enjoy, um, whether it's photography, painting, you know, pencil on paper, um, understanding the size of works you're looking for. If you have knowledge of artists that you like, that's helpful to give me a sense of the kind of direction to pursue kinds of artists and types of artwork, you know, in terms of um, more figurative works and more abstract pieces. And then from my own personal knowledge, I can start to paint a picture um, of uh, what I think is very personal. Obviously, not all advisors would advise the same, same works, um, but you're, you're buying into my, my eye and my knowledge. Um, and then I can create a portfolio for you. And, and depending on, on your needs, either work with you long term or help you identify artworks for uh, kind of just a one off project. Your, your journey you've been very open but I I want to ask you nevertheless what lessons have you learned that we can learn from pursue your truth don't doubt it when credible voices in a field that you are passionate about offer you the opportunity or suggest that you should pursue further study take them seriously <laughs> in 2011 Paul Goodwin said to me, oh, I'm running a course on curation. You should consider it. Uh, looked left, I looked right and thought, how's that going to work? It's, it's ironic. So many of my contemporaries were involved in that conversation. And if I had jumped into that and may have got to these conclusions sooner, um, produced more work, be more developed with some of the ideas that I now have or not, I think it's just about trusting your authentic voice, your interests. Yeah, don't waste time. So, and who's Paul Goodwin? He is a, a professor of arts, um, works at the London Art Schools. Yeah, curator, writer. Fantastic. So you have, it's interesting because you talk about being a hare or a tortoise, but I guess when it's come to really, really believing in yourself, that's kind of been a bit more tortoise-like. Oh yeah. But then that's slow it. and steady wins the race, I guess. Yeah, that's it. There's no swerving from this course. I'm now set Fantastic. on this course. Um, and much to many people's, like, I mean, they've seen it in me for, before I could. And so... And, and it's never too late. So I'm not a spring chicken, am I? You know, <laughs> you know I'm in my early 40s now. Um, but I do feel that my, you know, my, my full-time job is um, very responsible. Uh, I lead partnerships for, um, yeah, I made a, a significant charity in the city. Um, all of the corporate income is my responsibility. So I have an expertise in fundraising, relationship management, confidence in certain circles. I've written quite widely, um, have curated, I've, I've, I've done things without formal training that give me the confidence in, in, that, in that respect. I've used my, I guess my, 
get up and go and creativity, can do ability, hair-like tendencies to make things happen. Um, and so I'm really excited for what the confidence I have now and the clarity of the vision I have now will bring to the plans I have for Black British Art and the advisory. Fantastic. And so I always ask and end every, uh, every interview by saying, what music are you listening to? Uh, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm listening to a lot of gospel music, a lot of Clark Sisters, Hezekiah Walker. Um, yes, in the first thing in the morning to power me through my walks that have become part of my routine to keep get me into the right frame of mind and to power through my to-do list yeah i'm listening to a lot of um gospel music and alongside that always a lot of jazz christian scott's um, the likes blue lab beats there's amazing british jazz scene big fan of like jazz refresh and all the artists they've helped to to nurture and cultivate and promote I love my Beyonce. I love, <laughs> I love the um, the Gift album. You know, that's, I'll be dancing to that into my mirror. Afrobeats. Um, I also actually at kind of at the beginning of lockdown, I curated this monster broken beats uh, playlist that I would recommend to anybody who's interested in that on on Spotify. <clears throat> Yeah, I've been blast I blast that quite frequently. Some good old favourites there because I love to dance. Yeah. Well you are um we didn't mention that you are like a dancer. You know, like <laughs> one step, two step, you're like a proper proper dancer. There's always you and this other great poet, uh spoken word artist Lyricel. And any party is <laughs> always you two in the middle been too long when can we do it again i know we're gonna have to just do it in our living rooms you know until we can all congregate but um and you know it's funny broken beat for me is so british it it, exactly is... i don't know how i did it i don't know can we have to go back and rewind that conversation because broken beat has to be in there garage oh, jungle garage jungle dub grime yeah all of that has to be in there and the jazz mm. that is all that is all black british yeah yeah maybe that's another topic Skunk and nancy yeah black british music that needs to be another i'm sure someone is doing that like another platform but that hybridization of every every sort of nationality that has arrived on these shores the and then it's all smushed yeah. into music you know mm. so very exciting but lisa anderson thank you for your time um for your openness it's made me understand what you do more so thank you very much thank you i think it's helped me understand what i do more or, or definitely a bit more about how i got here fantastic thank you so much thank you to lisa anderson for such an open sincere and wonderful conversation Please be sure to follow Lisa on all her various platforms, Black British Art on Instagram. You can see examples of her curatorial work on her website and read some of the articles we refer to. Why not also discover the work of some of the artists Lisa speaks about? And I've even included the quintessentially British Broken Beat playlist Lisa created. All links are available in the podcast blurb. Holding Up the Ladder is available on numerous platforms, including Acast, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher and Deezer. Please share, like, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Holding Up the Ladder, hashtag H-U-T-L. Next week, I'm speaking to vocalist and songwriter Heidi Vogel. I always say that my biggest inspiration, musical inspiration, are my friends that's what mm. i say and i believe it's true because those are the people we hang around with the most we listen to the most um all of us you included you know we listen to each other we hear each other we get inspired and 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 you know yes we do listen to 
the other people that we love to listen to on records, but the people that we play with and know and our friends are equal to those people. Mm. Because they're all, in, in many, many cases, we're all on the same level as well. Until next time. <laughs>